welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Spencer Gray. And Spencer Gray is the president of Gray Capital, uh, a multifamily and asset management firm. He's, has been, he has been involved over the years in over $1 billion in transaction, in real estate transaction, and has built a portfolio of assets, uh, over 9,000 multifamily units. So this is very significant. He obviously has multiple kind of like companies. You have great capital, great properties, and all of that. And you can kind of sort help us sort through this if this is something that, that that's important. Uh, so Spencer, welcome to the show. Eric, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about your journey, because I think this is, I mean, um, you know, when you talk about that great capital, 9,000 multifamily units, this is very, very significant numbers for someone who uh, seems a little bit uh, younger than me. And uh, so how does how does one get to to that level or maybe how someone gets started in this? And I think maybe if you share a little bit of your journey with us, I think that might uh, that might help us. Yeah, no, for, absolutely. Well, and I guess I'll say from just the onset that I didn't necessarily have a goal of, all right, let's go for 9,000 units or 10,000 units or even 1,000 units. Um, you know, really it started, um, and this was once I was making transition to really, really focus on um, larger multifamily assets, but it was really trying to just get in the business and get started. And I wasn't really sure where the next couple, you know, what the next steps were, but I just wanted to make progress in the industry and try to carve out a niche. But so maybe kind of re rewinding back, you know, a um, few, few more years, um, I've always been a passionate entrepreneur. I got involved in real estate early on in life. I had the opportunity to help a friend um, flip a single family home. Uh, back when I was in high school, um, I was only 18 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't think my friend did, but his father, uh, he was an attorney. He had been flipping houses just prior to the great financial crisis. He's like, I'm going to teach my son how to do it also. So I got wrapped in. Um, you know, we really didn't make much money off of that deal, but it kind of it planted that first uh, the kind of the seed in my brain kind of was that initial spark of opening up my mind to um, real estate. And this was something that I could always kind of do. And at first I thought that, you know, I might have a different career, but I might always be doing something with real estate on the side. You know, might always be flipping a house, having a couple rentals. And I didn't even understand the concept of, you know, multiple income streams or anything like that. It just seemed like it's a smart thing to do. I knew, you know, relatively wealthy people that that's what they were doing. So it's something that I should do for myself. Um, but real estate wasn't the primary focus. It was just kind of this thing off to the side. I was focused yeah. on, um, so my, my degree, uh, I'm a, I was a music major in college. I worked in recording studios. I was writing music. I was a recording engineer. Um, and I was trying to make a business out of that. And as most people who get in the music involved in the music industry figure out, and I see you've got a guitar behind you, so you make uh -huh. more more or less you know. But you know, it's a it's an industry full of passionate people, not necessarily full of a lot of people making much money. There's certainly people mm -hmm. who do make a lot of money in it, and I was passionate about it. But I was also passionate about building a business and being an entrepreneur, and I couldn't really figure that second piece out. So mm -hmm. you know, I'm like I still play music to this day, but I've decided you know quite a few years ago that music wasn't going to be my path to really financial freedom. And around that period is when I started kind of figuring out how do I create financial autonomy, financial freedom, and really just how do I live the life that I want to live and how do I provide a life for, you know, my future wife and, you know, maybe my future kids. 
And so I was looking at other business opportunities and I founded a business um, in the craft beer industry, uh, oh, wow. brokering um, hops and hops products from farmers to craft brewers. And we quickly, um, I kind of stumbled into the business. There was an opportunity, there was a hop shortage at the time. And within a year period, we had grown to the fastest growing hop broker in the United States, the largest wow. in the Midwest. And only owned that business for about uh, two and a half years when we decided um, that we were going to sell the business. Oh, wow. And we, and at that point, we were looking kind of for the next step. And um, real estate kept coming back, kept coming back. And I was reading a lot of books, listening to podcasts, and I decided you know, this buy and hold strategy specifically for um, larger apartment buildings was what I wanted to pursue. And, um, and again, it was part of the process of just networking meeting individuals who were just doing what I wanted to do that um, led me to forming quite a few partnerships with folks that were in the industry that knew a lot more than I did, a lot smarter than I was. And I've been very fortunate to be able to learn from some of those individuals, partner with them, co-sponsor projects, and uh, eventually led to creating Gray Capital, which is a mm -hmm. multifamily real estate investment firm, an asset management platform. And uh, we work with investors all across the United States, investing in large apartment buildings. Excellent. So this is a few things that are, I think, very important is that often people are saying, well, you know, I don't have the right education. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in finance and stuff like that. You know, you're in, you studied music. So yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so this is obviously, you know, sometimes I complain that, uh, you know, the education system is, uh, is just preparing you for a full-time job, not really preparing you for what you're going to need in life and to, to build uh, a re real estate portfolio that's going to help you with, uh, with your retirement. But yeah, music, music major. I think this is. Uh, I think we've uh, we've squashed uh, the uh, <laughs> yeah yeah the myth the and myth. the fallacy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I I mean you talk to so many people who you know their their degree just doesn't line up with what they're doing um, in their career. And I would say real estate. I mean, it's one of the best examples because at the end of the day, it it's not what we're doing is not rocket science. I mean, the mm. idea of you know finding yeah. a property, putting together a business plan. You know, it's following a process and steps and requires you to to be diligent and to be smart about what you do. But it's we're not designing a rocket to go to Mars. We're not even designing, you know, a car or anything like that. And we're not reinventing the wheel. And so it's more about, you know, who do you, who you know, how do you get out there? How can you network and can you make something happen? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's much more of those you know, personal skills. And, you know, I'd like to think that I use some of my creativity that, you know, I use when I was doing music all the time to being able to, you know, put these deals together, look at things a little bit differently. Yeah. And um, this, yeah, it's pretty exciting from that standpoint. So, yeah, I guess, I guess also in music too, I mean, you kind of, uh, this is pretty interesting too, because you are, it is really uh, everything you do, like when you play with other people, it's, it's kind of, it is a partnership. It mm -hmm. is uh, a balance. It is kind of, it's listening to uh, the other people and then kind of like reacting, contributing to, to what they're doing. And um, so this is pretty, I mean, you know, I know it's music, but, and this is basically what you do in, in business as well. I mean, you kind of like, you kind of see what your partners are doing and stuff like that. And you support, enhance, contribute in order to, to achieve the same goal, which, you know, so that I think from that perspective, philosophically, I think you can see that this, uh, this would make sense. 
Yeah, no, you know, I, I don't think I've ever thought about it just like that, but I think you're I think you're right. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's like you're playing in in an ensemble and whether it is listening and you knowing or, you know, you have to know your park. You also have to know, you know, how loud to play, how soft to play, not to get on anybody else's toes. And yeah. um, it's it's communicating. And, you know, and also, you know, music is mostly math and ratios and, you know, a yeah, lot of right, the yeah. stuff is, too. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of analog good analogies. Sounds good. So hot, hot broker. This is this is phenomenal, a phenomenal story as well. Like kind of how you got started into that and then build the company. So this is where, um, I mean, uh, you know, you had to learn everything from scratch. I mean, you, I, beside maybe you drank some beer and you knew there was that, hop that, in that, it. That's about that was the, uh, yeah. That's about <laughs> as much as I knew when I got started. Yeah. No, literally, it was. Yeah, I was drinking some craft beer and there were all these new breweries that were opening up and we said, okay, well, there are all these local breweries. Are they getting local ingredients and how are they getting them? And then we just started having conversations and found out that all these breweries were having a hard time actually sourcing a lot of their ingredients and specifically hops. And we had originally uh, approached it from a standpoint of, you know, can we actually grow um, hops here in Indiana? And, And we did have a hop farm. We were the largest hop farm in Indiana at the time. It was small, it was only five acres. Um, but our, the primary business, because we figured out, all right, well, we don't know really if we can grow hops in Indiana. We can start a business today on brokering hops from existing brokers, yeah. and we could actually make some money doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, the market was very inefficient and slow. It was the kind of a old industry, the hop mm-hmm. industry, where they had only been selling to Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, and Miller Coors, and didn't really yeah. care about this thousand <laughs> new customers that had popped up. And we said, well, let's make a niche focusing on that new thousand small and independent craft breweries and kind of carved out the niche. And we're kind of the independent hop broker, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, so, I think, yeah, I think when you, you're doing the Hennizer Bush and all, all this, kind of, I mean, they want to have like a very generic kind of uh, hop for their beers. And now with all the, the new craft beers that are coming, coming out. Uh, we you have a variety of uh, of different hops that are adding all kinds of different profiles to the beer. Exactly, and I, I could see that this is where where you would want to carve a niche, and then uh, you know that's catering to these the smaller brewers, and then the uh, so I think that's that's fantastic for you to have found this opportunity and then grow the business into that. Yeah, from nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and and it is and I think what you were your earlier point is, you know, really kind of that uh, ramp up in knowledge. I mean, I knew yeah. basically nothing about hops and basically took gave myself a crash course and how to speak the language of one farming. Um, you know, my family has been in agriculture, so I knew a little bit about farming, but nothing about hop farming and then brewing. I knew a little about beer, but I didn't really know about the brewing process and then to sell hops, I have to basically learn all of that and um, you know, part of it is you kind of have to fake it until you make it. And it was figuring it yeah. out. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I had a good team uh, that I had surrounded myself with, and we were all very quick learners. And I guess to make the transition back to real estate, I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's ramping up that knowledge to real estate because I didn't go to school, um, but or I didn't get my degree, at least in real estate. I've taken mm-hmm. some courses and i've educated myself um but i think it goes to show if you really want to tackle something you put the time in the resources are out there i mean yeah the internet today it's all there so exactly and then i think you mentioned the team as well kind of like the uh you know having a team around you that can can help you and support you with the knowledge that you don't have or the time or or you know 
money that you don't have other resources that you <laughs> exactly don't have. yeah so i focus a lot on resources sometimes it's about time sometimes it's about money sometimes it's about skills and or sometimes it's access also access to mm -hmm. information and whatever so yeah i think this is very important so then you decide to pivot out of the uh, of the hot broker business and uh and now you decide so what made you decide so you, what made you decide to go to real estate? Was that just, uh, it seems that you, it was kind of in, you were looking at other people and how they were doing them. You know, I, I was, I knew some people that were in the real estate business. Um, and I had like, you know, I had, since I'd flipped that house in high school, I was always paying attention again. So always flipping a house on the side, if I had some extra time and money. Um, and I had, I was trying to dip my toe in even before I started the hot business, I had looked into investing in apartments, but just never pulled the trigger. Yeah. And once we were in the process of selling the hops business, it was really looking for, okay, what's that next, that next thing? Well, okay, what's yeah. the next project? Mm -hmm. And my CPA floated, um, an apartment deal over to me. He had a client who was selling, um, some apartments and I never really fully, you know, underwritten, um, a large apartment building. And he was like, you know, just take a look, see what you think. You know, he mm -hmm. basically saying that this guy had made a lot of money over time mm -hmm. with just a handful of apartments. And it just yeah. seemed really interesting. And it just kind of started this process of learning more about it. You know, we ended up, we didn't make an offer. We didn't really pursue that project, but it yeah. just opened up the door to, well, maybe <laughs> let's talk to a few other people. And I'm going to, then I'm going to read this book. And then yeah. it just kept snowballing of just consuming information and networking and trying to expand my network, you know, six degrees of separation. Okay. You know, who do you know? Then yeah. who do you know? And then who do you know? And all of a yeah. sudden I was talking to all of these, you know, big uh, real estate players, um, in the Indianapolis market, which is where we're from. Mm -hmm. And, um, all of a sudden I just had a much more, I guess, clear landscape of, you know, what's going on, what I can do and just, you know, what, what's out there. Yeah. Okay. And then, so, and then you kind of like figure it out, obviously you had with the hop business or any business, you kind of have to figure out kind of like some numbers, some yeah. ideas of numbers and stuff like that. So how did you pull up these numbers? How difficult, how difficult or how different was it to pull the numbers for an apartment, your first apartment building deal compared to, you know, your hop business or something like that? It's a good question. I mean, because in the hot business, you know, I, I had another partner that was really kind of the um, the numbers guy. And, I, and so, yeah. I mean, I, I was in the numbers, but I wasn't like fully into the weeds. But in the real estate, that's when I really started getting into the numbers and really started learning Excel and just just diving in. And that's where I, I, I've never considered myself a math person ever mm -hmm. until I really got into real estate and I started really liking it. And I almost uh, gamified you know, underwriting real estate projects, it almost became like doing playing like a computer game or something because you had yeah. all these options, all these levers you could, um, you can manipulate. Yeah. And I just started getting really into it. And, mm -hmm. and so it was a process. I mean, I first started using, you know, the bigger pockets, uh, rental cal the, you know, rental property yeah. calculator yeah. as basic yeah. as that was, because I was like, all right, I just need something to kind of get me started. Then I realized what I wanted to do required a lot more um, you know, complicated, um, you know, underwriting model. Yeah, and yeah. so I just, I started just teaching myself, okay, well, I, I need to figure out how to do this. I can't just borrow somebody else's model. I have to see how all of these numbers yeah, work. Exactly. And yeah. so I built, I built my own model. And by this point I was working with a couple of other, um, 
real estate group syndicators doing a lot of uh, co-sponsoring of their projects and also investing as a limited partner with a few others. And so mm -hmm. I was seeing how they were underwriting projects and I was just getting involved from a very early standpoint in their deals and yeah. from saying, you know, I want to go on tours with you guys. I want to be involved in due diligence. I want to oh, see your okay. underwriting from the beginning um, because I knew this is, I wanted to do this for myself at some point. Yeah, yeah. And so just learning how different groups underwrote, how they approached a project, I kind of blended everything I was learning um, into my own kind of synthesis of what I, what I wanted. And, um, and then it finally got to a point where, you know, you know, fast forward and you know we've really founded great capital and we're doing our own deals and you know we've hired our own um you know director of acquisitions where we or i took the model that i had been working on for years and i said okay yeah. let's maybe not throw it completely out the window but let's re redo it let's make it better and you know how do we continue to mm -hmm. uh how do we continue to improve yeah that's right because i think some people they're asking me kind of, oh send me your excel spreadsheet or your template yeah. for underwriting apartment buildings and stuff like that and so I can I can give it to you, but it's going to be a complete waste yeah. of time because you're get, you're going to spend so much time trying to figure out what calculations I'm doing and where it's coming from, and it serves my purpose and my process. Doesn't mean it's going to serve yours, and uh, so I encourage people to just start doing your own model and stuff like that. Looking look at other models as well and plug it into yours and see how the numbers compare and stuff like that and enhance based on what you see but yeah i think it's much better to create your own than that you know that intimately intimately what uh, what's what the calculations yeah are i agree of borrowing because it, it looks intimidating um but yeah. it's it's addition subtraction multiplication yeah. and division i mean that's a, i mean a couple formulas but it's you know you you can find those you hit the equals but you know they pop up it's not yeah. that complicated exactly. um so yeah i would encourage everybody to just Try it for yourself. Yeah. So tell us about your 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 first deal. You were uh, yeah. Tell us about about that first deal. Yeah. So the first multifamily deal um, was so I um, you know yeah we sold the hot business. Had been networking. Just kind of it was an accumulation. All this effort of trying to figure out our next deal. And mm -hmm. um, first we wanted to do our own deal on our own. But then I realized I'm not smart enough for that. Or there's people with more experience. So I decided that we we're going to partner with somebody who was a syndicator um, and we came onto the project as a co-sponsor and as a yeah. co-GP, you know, we contributed yeah. a decent amount of capital. We helped guarantee the loan um, and kind of an exchange saying, I wanted to be intimately involved in the process and kind of in the ditches with you guys. Yeah. Um, so that was a 220 unit apartment um, community in Indianapolis, um, kind of in the Speedway, Indiana, um, submarket mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. Um, and we actually just closed on that property um, well, a little less than a year ago. Okay. Um, but oh. it was a pretty deep value add. Um, it was built in 1960, 68, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was about a $8,000 per unit, um, you know, pretty much a full gut of the interiors, kind of fixing yeah. them up, uh, bring yeah. them the, you know, to a nicer level. Yeah. And uh, a lot of lot of lessons learned, you know, um, you know, one was our my first big deal, um, but it was yeah. also the biggest project that uh, our partners had done um, up to that point in time. And, uh, you know, it was a good lesson on, you know, err on the side of overcapitalizing on a project where, you know, there's going to be a, a lot of repairs that you're going to run into um, because, mm -hmm. you know, go in to fix one thing and three other things would break and you, know, you got to have the money to fix it at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, ended up being a successful project. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think partnering in the beginning, especially on a bigger project and stuff like that, I think it's definitely, 
you know, to me, I call that risk management. Yeah. So that, you know, at least I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent responsible for all the risk. If something goes bad, then we can look at everything. But how do you, uh, how did you find that, uh, that uh, other partners, that other uh, sponsor, he was looking for you to bring, to bring you on as an equity partner or how did that work out? Yes. Yeah, so it, it was an interesting um, introduction. So I was actually speaking with a lender. Um, I was interested in a certain type of financing, um, HUD 223F uh, financing vehicle. And uh, the lender said, yeah, you know, you, it, it's a great financing vehicle. Um, the property you brought in to show us, you know, would qualify, but you know, you don't qualify. You don't have the experience. You can't get this loan. And I was like, okay, well, how do I get the loan? He's like, well, you have to have some experience. I'm like, well, how do I get experience if I can't get the loan to buy the property? And he said, well, well if you partner with somebody, you can piggyback on their experience and you can start building that track record. And so that was like the real aha moment of like, not only it may be a better idea to partner with somebody to your point for really risk management, um, but also it may not even be an option um, yeah. to do it to do it on my own. So um, he put me in touch with um, this other operator um, locally to us in Indianapolis saying, you know, you guys should meet, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. I, since that meeting, I think we've uh, co-sponsored 10 different multifamily syndications together. Um, we've bought almost half a billion dollars worth of real estate together kind of since that um, initial meeting. Um, and so, you know, and we, we're, we're working on projects together right now. So it's been a very successful partnership. Um, and, but, you know, it was a, it wasn't overnight to kind of get to the point of, we felt comfortable with each other. Either. Yeah, yeah. It was a, you know, probably a year process of having lunches and meetings and him wanting us to come into his deals, you know, primarily as an equity partner, but us being resistant saying, yeah, we still kind of like the idea of doing our own deal. And, you know, I don't know if we want to give up all the control just yet. And, and so then one day he was like, okay, well, what if I, there's this other, he's like, what if, you know, I brought you guys into the general partner side, be a co-sponsor. Um, and that kind of opened up our eyes to the, you know, the economics of how these deals are really put together and yeah, yeah. what's the difference between being a limited partner and a general partner. And, you know, what if you're investing as a limited partner, but also have a piece of the general partnership, what all that looks like. Um, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. No, very nice. So what would be some of these, um, the, the, I would say the, the, recommendation you would give for someone that is, is looking to have to invest in in multifamily um so what what's the recommendation i mean for you that that's a that's a big jump i think what you've mm -hmm. done for for most people and i think what yeah. warmed you up to that idea was that you had just wrapped up uh your other business and uh, so you felt pretty confident that okay well, we, can, we need to invest in something else and and then real estate, what was it? And I suspect you probably had a significant amount of capital that you were able to, to build. Some people, some of the the people, the listeners that I have, they, they don't have that much capital in play. Yep. They might be interested in doing a multifamily. So, what are some of the the recommendations or guidelines you would give them to to get started? Yeah, no, I think you made a couple of good points, and yeah, a lot. Most individuals aren't as fortunate as the position I, I was fortunate to be in where we did have some capital to invest and I'm kind of just off of a successful venture. So we kind of had a little bit of momentum and all right, we're mm -hmm. looking for the next thing, but it really, it, it comes down to, you know, first, you know, what are, you know, your real goals and when you're trying to invest in real estate, there's no, 
reason to invest in real estate just to invest in real estate? You know, what are you kind of getting out of it? And, you know, whether you are, um, you know, approaching retirement or, you know, retirement is far down the road, your preference for cash flow um, or, you know, overall growth and appreciation, you may be kind of on one side of the coin or the other. And so for mm -hmm. folks who are, you know, really looking to, you know, generate passive income and they're looking for that cash flow, um, you know, multifamily, multifamily properties are a great vehicle, um, you know, to produce that. That being said, not every, you know, real estate investment, not every multifamily investment is necessarily going to gear towards throwing off a lot of cash flow. There are some yeah. projects, you know, whether it's new, a new development or even, you know, like a major um, renovation where there may be no cash flow for the first couple of years in the project. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, you know, it's important to know that just not every, you know, multifamily real estate syndication or investment opportunity is really you know, created equal. They have different um, kind of uh, return profiles and to really to determine, you know, what you're really seeking. So again, if you're looking for cash flow, you want to look for projects that do have a degree of cash flow. But then taking maybe a step back, you know, making sure that investing as a, you know, multifamily uh, or any kind of passive investor, you know, it's not a get rich quick process. You know, you're not going to become a millionaire, even if you have, you know, $100,000, you're not, it's not going to turn into a million dollars overnight. And, you know, most people don't even have $100,000 to invest. And so, you know, I, I speak to investors across the spectrum from folks who are, you know, still in school trying to figure it out to, you know, folks that are in retirement who are, you know, alternate, not high net worth individuals. And, you know, I'm talking to someone that's younger who might not have, you know, $10,000 kind of saved up. I'm like, well, you know, multifamily oh. syndication, one, you may not even be able to participate because of the minimums, but it's not going to get you where you need to go. And you, know, you may be wanting to look at um, investments that have a higher velocity where you can kind of turn that money multiple times, whether that's, you know, flipping houses or something that you can build that nest egg. So you can invest, whether that's actively and you're doing your own project and maybe raising more capital, um, or you've been able to build up such a nest egg that you are investing it passively. Um, but, you know, investing passively into a large, you know, real estate offering, you know, it typically means that you already have um, a decent amount of savings to actually um, invest. And so that's where mm -hmm. I tell a lot of people, it's not necessarily the right fit for everybody. It might make sense for you to go and buy, you know, whether it's a single family home or, you know, a duplex or something that you can control um, that, you know, that if you only have 25 or $50,000, that might be a better investment decision for other folks. They don't have the time to manage anything on their own and they're looking for something that's, you know, purely passive. And so maybe a syndication or more of a turnkey option makes more sense. Mm -hmm. So it's not a, it's not a one size fits all. Everyone's a little bit different in the kind of the solution. These are yeah, that's right. And I think it also deals with kind of like your personality, what you like to do, what you like about real estate. I mean, some, yeah. um, there's a lot of people out there. They don't want like, even, even though they have property management in place, they get stressed out when they see that the property management sends some guy to change the light switch for $50, $50 yeah. and they get like, they get upset by that. Well, you know, this is, uh, this is life. This is what's, what's going to happen. So if you don't like that, if you, if you get very nervous or you lose sleep over the fact that uh, your tenant didn't pay, didn't pay the, the rent yet. And it's like, uh, it's June 15th. Then if you're going to lose sleep over that, then, you know, 
building a bigger portfolio is not <laughs> is not going to make it any easier. Yeah, no, that that's a good point, and you really can't real estate. You just can't sweat the small stuff, and mm, that that yeah. and and if you if you do, you know, being in a position where you're just not exposing yourself to the small stuff, or um, yeah. It, an investment that you're just um yeah just don't have those worries it's also a little sense. bit of a leap i mean we talked about risk uh, also mm -hmm. earlier but you know it's also a leap too like you have to tell people say okay well you have one property right now you have one single family rental and in order for you to minimize risk you have to buy more mm -hmm. you yeah know, buy five ten twenty <laughs> it's like yeah what no i can't i already can't sleep with one property but uh you know kind of explaining that that yeah if you have like five percent of your properties are not uh are vacant and it's not as bad as having 100 percent of your properties vacant and um so that's also kind of like a leap uh, of uh faith or a little, to me i call it a leap in logic uh is that you know if you look at look at the numbers it's better to have multiple uh multiple units to deal with you know yeah no there, there's safety in numbers and i mean because we'll look at we'll still look at it we mostly target uh properties that are really 150 units really more closer to that kind of that 200 unit mark and because we've invested in um you know 30 unit properties and even 100 unit properties and even you know one uh tenant leaves you know it, it's at 100 units only you know one percent that's not big of a deal but yeah. you know it still moves the needle a little bit compared to you know even a, a fourplex where it's you know 25 yeah. percent of your occupancy you go you go from fully stabilized 100 to you know break even with one yeah. individual um and we we've got a 36 unit that's a pretty high you know high-end project here in indianapolis it was a condo deconversion that we did and but you know each 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 unit's three percent and yeah. you know so it it moves the needle pretty quickly one way or the other but you know on our 200 250 unit um communities you know it's just a day in the life it's business as usual somebody moves out somebody moves in you're just always leasing and you're always turning units um oh. so safety numbers for sure yeah yeah and for me like when i look when i talk to my investors too like, and i look at resources what resources they have available and most of the time, time is uh, is a critical component. Uh, they're working full time. They want to achieve financial freedom. So you want to find an investment vehicle that's going to be kind of a hands free. It's going to be truly passive and start building into that. Uh, I see a lot of investors that are kind of making the mistakes of, oh, I'm not going to do a, I'm going to do a flip or I'm going to do something, and then it's going to be, it's going to take so much time for them to do it, and the risk of making mistakes is. Uh, uh, you know, is significant. So yeah, just just save a little bit, invest in something that uh, that's truly passive, and build that portfolio over time. Keep your full time job. Once you get that eighty percent of your uh, of your expenses of your living expenses that are paid through passive income, then you can kind of like take a backseat or quit your job or whatever, and then kind of delve right in and be full time in real estate. Yeah. And then you can look at things, opportunities that are more time consuming. And yeah. uh, so that's kind of my recommendation. No, I, I think that's spot on. But, you know, and even in real estate, you know, I see opportunities in real estate where I'm like, I'm so focused on my niche and my sector yeah, that I, right. I can't I can't take myself away from focusing on what I'm doing. And like and I'll invest passively as a limited partner in other asset classes because I want the exposure and I think it's a great deal. But, you know, like medical office buildings, for example, I've been investing in 
And I mean, I understand the process enough, but I'm not an expert, but yeah, yeah. I found some great partners that, um, mm -hmm. you know, I can kind of just throw some money over there yeah, with. When exactly. That, that's a great example too. That's, yeah. Having the right skills and stuff like that and being able to, it's very different to, to rent to a, a regular tenant uh, compared to, you know, a doctor or something like that, or a dentist in a medical office uh, setting. It's completely different. These are commercial lease and all of that. And the building has to be a certain standard in order for uh, exactly for it to qualify. So yeah, so having the right partner in that case, if you know, if you don't have the right skills, then it is definitely critical. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then, and then also just to your, you know, lever, you know, time. And that's really what we're going after is trying to achieve mm -hmm. more time and yeah. finding ways to leverage more time. And even, you know, from a diversification standpoint, I'll invest in um, other multifamily syndicators offerings too, just because it's, I want to be diversified, you know, for myself, you know, I can't just be only investing, you know, in what I'm doing. I mean, that's my, my preference, but yeah. you know, somebody may be out in, you know, in, the Southwest somewhere where I, we're not operating in and I want some exposure out there. And again, mm -hmm. it's a way for me to just leverage my, um, have my money create more time for me. And so I'm able mm -hmm. to be more active without actually having to dedicate more time. Yeah. yeah and I think part of also part of the, 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 the complexity of that, of the finding the, the right multifamily, if you don't have them in your backyard, I mean, you're lucky enough, you live, you, you live and invest right in your backyard. Uh, for me, I'm in California and, uh, you know, investing in cash flowing multifamily or even single family rentals here, it, it doesn't make sense. Yes, they can cash flow, but you put so much cash into the deal to in order for them to cash flow that yeah. the, the cash on cash return doesn't make any sense. You're at like one or two percent, then might as well buy treasury bills. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so. You know, getting into the right market, getting the right information. I think this is uh, this is something that's very, uh, very important. And I think that you have something that's called grayreport.com. And uh, and I think you kind of like aggregate a whole bunch of information about uh, real estate, different news about the real estate. Uh, and then it, as, do you provide that for free? Yeah, so it's all for free. And, um, you know, it started, you know, we have a newsletter, um, it's called the Gray Report newsletter, you can sign up graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter. And it was every week we were aggregating, you know, all the biggest articles and um, research reports from the multifamily industry. And it was really for the really the research report side that got us uh, that really drove us because you know, all these brokers and research companies, they put all these market reports, they don't always do a great job of disseminating the information or announcing they've released the reports. And I hated seeing that something had come out like a month or two months ago and I had missed it. And yeah. so I told my team, like, we, I want to do a really good job of aggregating all of these, staying on top of it. And let's send them out to all of our clients or all of our investors, you know, part of our newsletter. Mm -hmm. And then it got to a point where we had all this information coming in. We had all these different RSS feeds. And I said, let's put this all on a website instead of just sending it out an email once a week, you know, because you know, like we're doing like it's year 2002 or something. I was like, let's, let's make a website. Like we're at least 2005 or something. And so we created a website. It's called grayreport.com and it's, it's curated content, but also we have a lot of just automated, you know, RSS feeds, you know, bring in, um, any kind of article, research report, opinion, but also podcasts, YouTube videos from multifamily industry, uh, the economy and just real estate in general, all in one spot, uh, completely free to use. There's no advertisements outside of, you know, a little bit, something for gray capital. Um, but yeah, it's grayreport.com and I encourage everybody to check it out. Mm -hmm.
sounds good. And uh, so, yeah, so definitely I'll put that in the show notes as well, obviously. Uh, so before we wrap up, anything else, any, any famous last words for uh, investors out there who want to get started in, uh, in multifamily and how to reach you? Yeah, well, you know, easy way to reach me. Um, you can just Google Gray Capital. Um, our website should pop up at the top, uh, graycapitalllc.com. Um, you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram, kind of all social media, bigger pockets, all oh, those yeah. places. Um, and, you know, it's a, I think this is one of the most exciting times uh, to be alive and, you know, real estate, multifamily, um, being an investor in anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting out of uh, the coronavirus pandemic um it, it's a it's a fascinating time to say the least and you know i think maybe premature to make too many conclusions but um i'm more optimistic um than anything kind of going forward yeah. so uh but i think it's gonna be a wild wild ride to say the least but uh just all make sure that we're you know allocating ourselves to the right assets and let's get ready for a ride yep exactly it's gonna be very interesting always very interesting yep so. yep as is life <laughs> Yep. So, well, thank, thank you very much, Spencer. Uh, enjoyed the rest of your day. Thank you for uh, sharing your information and your experience uh, with us. Hey, really appreciate it, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.